podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. In today's show, we cover the five biggest news stories from the world of Formula One, which this week are Aston Martin Honda, an uphill climb for LP, a false restart for Mercedes, Red Bull dominating but boring, and are the F1 intros here to stay? News from the Nerds, the midweek news show brought to you by the Formula Nerds. Once a week, we update you on everything you need to know from the world of F1. We are the Formula Nerds news team. Make sure you keep up to date with all the latest news by visiting our website at formulanerds.com. I am your host, James McKenzie, and as ever, I am joined by Abby. Abby, how is it going? It's going very well, thank you. How's it going for you, James? Not bad. Uh, I was saying before we we started recording it it's been a frustrating day but i'm now looking forward to putting all that behind me and uh, enjoying talking f1 with you and sam sam how are you hello um yes nice to see you uh, i've also had a frustrating day james so uh, i can empathize with you there it's probably slightly less frustrating than your day but i did lose an article that i'd written and then had to rewrite it and i think as we can all attest when you write something the second time it's never quite as good as it was the first time uh, so yeah pretty frustrating on that front um but i guess safety numbers yeah that is a, a pain that only a, a journalist can know that it's it's a tough one uh, before we get into the news uh, this a quick word from our sponsors this show is sponsored by formula model shop official formula one gift shop online and in store visit www.fms.store or pick up in store now Sam has said he's written this twice, so you should be very prepared to intro your first topic. Yes, I should be well prepared. You think I will be, given that I've uh, written this piece twice, compound learning and all that. But yes, the first topic of conversation today is, of course, engine manufacturers or engine suppliers power unit suppliers, as they're more commonly known as in F1. We are, of course, hurtling towards a new era of power unit regulations, which starts in 2026. We, A lot of it's still being ironed out, but we are starting to piece together which teams might be supplied by which manufacturers. So Honda, who, as we know, initially moved to leave Formula One at the end of 2021 and then kind of did a, a partial kind of U-turn uh, and actually stay in a kind of half-house relationship with Red Bull. Um, their relationship ends in, at the end of 2025. And because of those decisions they've made to leave, basically, Red Bull obviously then started Red Bull powertrains and that altered their relationship to the point that it wouldn't have worked moving forward in the way they had been. So Red Bull decided to obviously start with Ford. There's a commercial agreement in place where they're going to be you know, Red Bull Ford badged engines from 2026. So that means that Honda, 
who are signed up to the new rules. So they are partaking in the kind of, uh, I don't know what we would call it, kind of the consultation process with the FIA. They are the only one of the six companies that have currently signed up to that that haven't got any association from 2026 onwards. Obviously, you've got Ferrari, Mercedes, Renault being Alpine, and you've also got, as well as Ford, Rebel, you've also got Audi, who obviously we know have purchased part of Sauber. So there has been a lot of speculation as to where Honda might position themselves, who they might partner with. There have been talks with both McLaren and Williams. Well, they have approached Honda. But in recent days, it has emerged that, in fact, Aston Martin are the most likely suitor for a works engine deal. Guys, what do you think about this? What are your your initial feelings? Will it work? Because it's a bit of an odd fit in some ways. Yeah, it is a bit of an odd one. I think with Aston Martin, obviously, they're second in the championship. And at the moment, their power units are supplied by Mercedes, who Aston Martin are a customer team, but they are ahead of their supplier. So I can see them branching out to other power unit suppliers. Honda wasn't one that I would have thought would have partnered with Aston Martin. I feel like Lawrence Stroll would have the ambition to create Aston Martin powertrains. But at the moment, I feel like that's a bit too much to put on the team's plate. They are slowly getting up to being a race winning team and taking on their own power units would be a bit of a struggle. It's interesting. I think the next few years coming up to the engine regulations of F1 will be Quite exciting with the new teams coming and Ford and everyone. Interesting, but we'll just have to wait and see whether it is a done deal. Yeah. um, Yeah, I mean, Aston Martin powertrains would be quite an ask. I mean, obviously Red Bull had a lot of help in their transition, aside from stealing seemingly half of Mercedes staff. uh, They had Honda's backing and kind of helped them transition. And obviously Mercedes wouldn't be potentially so willing because they've obviously got you know their own they'd be focusing on their own endeavors anyway um yeah it is an interesting i think it does make sense with aston martin's ambitions to obviously go out and not be yeah uh, a customer team fernando alonso will have left potentially who knows uh by 2026 he obviously has a, a yeah up and down history with honda and they're gp2 engines in the past it's it kind of makes sense it, it kind of surprises me as well yeah to be honest with you, I, I kind of feel like it's a marriage of convenience at some point or at least it will be because abby to, to to take your point a bit further obviously as we know convention sort of dictates in formula one that to kind of really be up there at the top you need a works deal you can't really be a customer team and outperform the works team long term but also going that kind of Red Bull route would be so expensive that I think it would actually start to do harm for their kind of assault on the the establishment being Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes. So Honda's kind of what they have left. Um, might Honda one day buy the team? Or at the very least, there could be a badging thing there because I think it kind of, as I said, it's kind of clunky. Um but yeah, James, you touched very neatly on the, the Fernando Alonso question, which I can only imagine he would have retired by then. Um, but I mean, there is history there, right? So Martin Whitmarsh, before he left McLaren, uh, you know, 
sorted out the the arrangement with Honda and then left before that soured. So he's obviously Aston Martin now. He could broker a deal potentially, but also if you cast your mind way back, um, Honda actually do have an existing relationship with quote unquote team Silverstone uh, from the Jordan days and uh, Heinz Hunter friends and three wins in 99 an unlikely title charge. So there is, there is stuff there. There are things to kind of factor in. Yeah, definitely. I do think I agree with your point that if Aston Martin were to do their own, it would hinder their performance so far. And with marriage of convenience, I love that trope in books and it is the perfect way to describe the Honda Aston Martin thing. I think it is a logical step for Aston Martin to partner with Honda, especially because of their long-term goals that they want to achieve and what Honda has achieved within the sport already. Yeah, and let's face it, this is a, yes, potentially a marriage out of convenience, but a pretty good one nevertheless, if you take the last few years um, as, as a case study. This is a very different operation from the relationship that McLaren had uh, from 2015 onwards. Honda have won championships with Red Bull. It's, you know, this would work. And yeah, I think that Honda kind of have got themselves into this this situation where the the kind of U-turning and the kind of about-facing that they were doing meant that they couldn't continue with Red Bull, where really they should have just stuck to one course and it would be a far easier way forward for them. But yeah, I think uh, Aston Martin seems like the logical place. And it'd be nice to have another manufacturer up there uh, competing. And yeah, it looked like it would look like then, by the, the order that we have at the moment, five engine manufacturers op- occupying the top half of the constructors table. Yeah, uh, that would be good. Uh, I hope that they'd have the Honda logo on the front of the rear wing and the Aston Martin wings on the back. That would placate me in terms of how they would split up two of the iconic rear wing designs. Well, this is where the whole badging conversation comes in, right? I can't see how it would work as Aston Martin Honda. I think it would be Honda does all the work behind the scenes, are paid handsomely for it, and... As far as the entry is considered, as far as the car looks, it is an Aston Martin engine. Honda have got such a weird history in this sport. Certainly recent history, you know, the leaving and then it becoming Braun and obviously then having some horrible years after they came back and then leaving again just as they found success and now looking to come back in again with a team who's not as successful as the one they left. That's The whole thing is just odd, <laughs> their approach to F1, but it's, it's interesting. Um, but another team who has had uh, a more level, let's say, uh, experience in F1, is Alpine. But uh, Lauren Rossi isn't very happy with that average experience up to now. Sam? No, not even remotely. And I'm going to have to read some of the the remarks of recent weeks verbatim, because there's a couple of interviews that he's had um over the kind of Baku, Miami stretch. And they... um. They're pretty blunt. They're fiery. They're, it's a lot to take in. And James, I know that there's parts of this that you might not have heard yet. So I'm interested to see how you uh, how you take it on first hearing. Mm. So from his first interview with Canal Plus, the French broadcaster, and this was in his native French and has been translated, and that's an important distinction to make. 
He said, we are in a position that is not at all worthy of the resources invested. What I see is there's certainly a lack of performance and, as I say, a lack of rigour in the execution, but also potentially a frame of mind that is not at the level of what has been accomplished by the same team in the past. He goes on to say, I didn't like the first Grand Prix in Bahrain because there was a lot of, I'm sorry to say this, dilettantism, which is, I mean, side note, pretty fiery to say that the team doesn't know what they're doing. Hmm. That led to a result that was not the right one, that was mediocre, bad. Then the last race in Baku looked an awful lot like the one in Bahrain, and that is not acceptable. The right to make mistakes is a basic principle. Mistakes are what we learn from. However, when you make the same mistakes twice, it means you haven't learned and you aren't taking responsibility. That is not acceptable. And then following this, a separate interview with the F1 website, he further adds to this by saying the trajectory is not good we need to fix the mindset of the team asap if not it's the rule of business there are going to be consequences and i won't wait until the end of the year so he goes on to say one of the things that needs a change is mindset this year there are a lot of excuses which has led to poor performance and lack of operational excellence i need to tackle this i need the right people to tackle this i need the team to be aware that they need to do that and it's not up to me it's up to them they have to do it it's their responsibility i hope they make the same diagnosis i will make it clear to them that this is the diagnosis that they need and they need to fix that he also then went on to address staff now saying omar is responsible for the performance of the team that's his job there's no hiding here Omar was brought in to steer the team through the season and the next season towards the objects that we have. And therefore, this is his mission, to turn this team around and bring it to the performance we want. Yes, it is Otmar and the rest of his team, as Otmar alone doesn't do everything, but the buck stops with Otmar. It's Otmar's responsibility. So it's pretty blunt, pretty brutal. And that isn't even all of it. That's just the kind of half of it. It's... A, a lot and it's as I said fiery it's punchy and I also read that in terms of relative performance and I think part of the wider question the conversation we'll have aside from the comments is have they improved is the performance good enough but a stat that I saw was that when benchmarks against pole year on year Aston Martin have improved 892 percent more than Alpine, which is completely breaking the mould of what people thought a team could achieve in an off-season, right? So, yeah, your thoughts on all of those quotes and also, have they had that bad a start to the season or is it relative? Is it, you know, is there context there? You know, what are, you, what are your feelings here? Well, firstly, poor Rotmar. He ran away from Aston Martin to get away from a, a pretty, like, I don't know, hard-nosed boss in Laurent Stroll, and he's found Laurent Rossi, who's just the French version of that. Now, this is... Rossi is very outspoken, and he's very cutthroat, it seems. He's kind of stripped a few of the big names in a fairly small number of years in charge. Uh, I mean, even as big as Alain Prost, let's not forget. Uh, it's quite a French approach, and it tends to be a bit all-or-nothing, I can say that because I live here, also because uh, we know that only 1% of our listeners uh, come from France. 
And to that 1%, bonjour, uh, thank you for letting me live in your country. But I think you would you would admit that it's true. It is the, the French way. Um, and I think it's not going to be successful for Rossi, this approach. Um, they're also not going to get force this year. Like, let's be real. They can fight for fifth, probably with McLaren. I'll pass on to Abby, having uh, offended the country that I live in. <laughs> um, I definitely agree that they won't be fighting for fourth. I think the four, the four top teams are very clear at this stage, only five races in. With Miami, the team did have a stronger weekend. They had brought some upgrades as well. Obviously, they've had three DNFs. Ocon had loads of penalties in Bahrain and Gasly had a very unfortunate weekend in Baku. I can see where Rossi is coming from in wanting the team to do better. But as you guys have said, it is very cutthroat. It is very strong words. And the team is kind of giving mixed signals because both Gasly and Ocon, yes, they've realised like where the weaknesses in the teams are and what have gone wrong so far this season. But they also seem quite optimistic and positive I guess you kind of have to be in this situation and looking forward to like the upcoming upcoming triple header that we have to see where the team can work to improve and what things they need to string together and yes it is a team principal's job to manage the team and that but it is not just Otmar involved it is everyone in the team hopefully Alpine can improve have some optimism and hopefully they can give some to Rossi as well because he sounds like he definitely needs it but it is sad to see them not doing as well but fingers crossed they can actually get somewhere and kind of wake up in a respect to Rossi and see where they need to improve well this is the thing right I feel like with Alpine they are they have all the talent, they have all the pieces in place. A little bit like Ferrari in this sense. But when we see behind the scenes, it kind of tells the story of dysfunction. You look at Daniel Ricciardo, Fernando Alonso, Oscar Piastri, they all you know, ran away, basically, from, from this environment. But there clearly is, as I said, the piece is there to be successful. They just need to put it together. And, you know, to throw a few more stats at you guys, Alpine are closer to pole than they were last year. They've closed the gap by a couple of tenths of a second. However, the gap to Mercedes has increased ever so slightly. So, again, this is where I come back to that kind of, you know, looking at context. Because I was thinking about this, I was like, they haven't done that badly. It's just that Aston Martin have done really, really well. And that has then bumped them down meaning they struggle to get fourth. But then you think about the fact that, well, if Aston Martin have done it, why haven't you? You are only as good as your the competition around you and you're relatively moving backwards. Then factor in the, the element of you know, McLaren having the worst car at a couple of races this season and still having more points in the championship. They've just kind of, yeah... They've always been pretty much fourth or fifth. And they've always been like, oh, next year. It is almost, yeah, Ferrari-esque. Like you say, next year, TM. And they've just never... But rather than it being the title, it's breaking into the, the top three or now top four, which they haven't managed to do. This show is sponsored by Formula Model Shop. 
official Formula One gift shop online and in store. Official Formula One team wear, artwork, models, gifts, and new slot cars available online at www.fms.store. Or you can pick up in-store at their new larger retail store in Brackley, Northamptonshire, just by the Mercedes HQ, and experience their in-store F1 simulator and new large-scale scale electric Silverstone track. Maybe even set fastest laps on both to win monthly prizes. FMS, more than just an F1 store. Collect it, play it, wear it. Yes, moving on, uh, and we will move on to Mercedes. Uh, those were two pretty juicy topics, uh, and we've spent quite a lot of time talking to them. So we will move fairly quickly through these remaining three equally. It's stuff we've kind of covered before, uh, so it's probably best we don't end up repeating ourselves from former shows and race reviews. But yes, from some level of crisis at one team to another, they're well above Alpine in the standings, but of course they expect more than just that. Mercedes are rapidly approaching their perhaps make or break update in Imola. Despite having had fun fighting his way through the field in Miami, Lewis Hamilton has said he's counting down the days until he gets his hands on that new upgrade package. So as a wolf described, the raft of updates being applied to its poisonous, uh, that is a quote, W14 for the next race, as being akin to the car undergoing major surgery, though he has moved to cool expectations. Like I said already, we need to manage our own expectations because we're bringing an update package that's going to consist of new suspension parts and bodywork and some other things, he explained. But I have never in my 15 years in F1 seen a silver bullet being introduced where suddenly you unlock half a second of performance. So where do we land on this? Do you think it's going to be anywhere near half a second? How high are your expectations? I'll start with you, Abby. I agree with Toto that they can't just bring some upgrades, change some of the concept of the car, and then they'll be up there fighting Red Bull straight away. I, it might be close to half a second, but I don't think it definitely won't be more than that at all. I think, as Toto said, it will be a good baseline for them. Hamilton is very excited. I'm sure Russell is as well. The W14, whilst they've said it's poisonous and a terrible car, to me, it doesn't seem that bad a car at the moment based on the results that they're giving. As you said, James, Hamilton had an enjoyable race in Miami going from P13 to P6. And Russell did qualify quite well. I think it was P6 that he qualified and finished P4. Obviously, safety car red flag came out during the session. But I'm interested to see how the upgrades will affect Mercedes, whether it will bring them closer to Aston Martin, create a bigger gap between them and Ferrari. They're bringing them in Imola. James Allison helped them, and he is very good working with Mercedes as well. So I'm hoping it will see them improve, and the team will hopefully be happy and go where they want to go. I'm going to address this one in broader strokes, because... We're going. We go around in circles with the, with this conversation with Mercedes, and I think everyone does up and down the F1 paddock and across podcasts all over the world that are focusing on motorsport. It feels a little bit like Mercedes are just kind of they're saying they're not waiting for a silver bullet, right? But they keep on making these changes, and I think they're just eventually hoping that it's just going to click, and that click is basically a silver bullet, right? But what happens if that silver bullet never comes? This is clearly a flawed concept and they're trying to make the best out of a bad situation. They've kind of already admitted that this isn't the route that they thought it was and it's not going to be comparable to Red Bull and others that have gone for a different philosophy. 
it just isn't the way to go. It's it's a kind of nice on paper, not so nice in reality situation for them. But I'm not buying this whole, you can't just find half a second. And yes, a different uh, scenario. But to borrow from what we were talking before about Aston Martin, they've done far more than that in the off-season. And yes, the, you know, the, the cost cap era and there's other, you know, other things at play there. But I think really, if you start now and just draw a line under it, start clawing it back, it's probably the way to go because I just don't think that silver bullet is going to be here with this philosophy. Yeah, in terms of Aston Martin, obviously, I think they went with the whole green bull thing, didn't they? And I think Spain, I want to say, last year, and then it wasn't half a second immediately. It obviously improved over the course of the year. We saw them claw their way back up uh, and kind of battle with Alpha for sixth in the standings. And then they made the big jump over the winter. So in terms of, yeah, the silver bullet, I don't think it's going to appear in Imola. But yeah, it, it would be laying the foundations for potentially, you know, refining that bullet at some point maybe between now and the start of next season um, but a team who did find half a second despite being clear of the field Red Bull are dominating Abby. Yes they are. Verstappen currently leads the championship by 14 points to Perez and Red Bull is well in the lead on 122 points and a lot of fans of the sport are a bit frustrated by Red Bull's dominance by Verstappen and Perez getting one-twos and winning every race so far of the season. However, Martin Brundle, former racing driver and of Sky Sports, has said that fans should embrace Verstappen's dominance because it is an incredible thing to see. He said, we're witnessing something special, something incredible, so I don't know why we need to run and hide from it or talk about it being boring. Verstappen is extraordinary in control of a very challenging Formula One car. It's not about the lowest common denominator in F1, it's about excellence. Everybody's got to raise their game and they will, they will find a way. Now, the Miami Grand Prix, Verstappen did start in P9 and he did go on to win it. And a lot of people said that it was one of the most boring F1 races that they've seen because it was just Red Bull dominance through and through. Obviously, Perez, he was in the lead, but he didn't win. And he admitted that he didn't have the pace that Verstappen had. And Tom Coronel, who is from Viaplay, which is a channel in the Netherlands, has said that Perez just needs to drive faster. What does he think? When you're a teammate of Max, you just always become a second fiddle. That's just how it is. That hope everyone is talking about, forget it, there's no hope at all. What do you guys think? Do you think, one, there isn't any hope for Perez? And do you feel that Verstappen dominating is boring? I know sometimes it can be very frustrating, but in 2019, Mercedes had scored 98.63% of all the points in the first five races, which is more than what Red Bull have done this year. I agree with Martin Brundle that it's a thing to behold, and I think we should try and appreciate it, whilst admitting that it's very easy to get distracted or lose focus when watching a race that is a foregone conclusion. It isn't as immediately interesting for the viewer. I think we all need to accept that, but also... There's this curiosity, right? Can they achieve that kind of McLaren level of dominance across the season? Obviously, this is what um, a 23, 24 race calendar, was it 16 rounds back in 1988? But McLaren only lost once all year. And I think, James, you actually mentioned it on the Miami race review um, that very season. I'm intrigued to see, 
can Red Bull win every race? It's that kind of, you know, when you're a kid playing the PlayStation game, can you win every race? Can you finish top of the Premier League with 114 points out of 114 points? It's that kind of, and yeah, as, as you get older, those things change, but it is the backbone of the sport is competition and excellence. So he's absolutely right. On the comments um, with regards to just drive faster, I'm not going to give it much airtime because that's a little bit like saying, oh, try not to worry or, you know, just, you know, be happier if someone's depressed. It's <laughs> it is, it's such a simplistic and caricatured answer. It just, you know, just drive faster. It's so much more complex than that. Like, come on. Well, firstly, you are either very good at video games or you have them set way too easy. Uh, but moving on to... <laughs> no, but, <laughs> I know, I know. What you're way too easy as a child, but it's that, yeah, it's that yeah. trying to do it. I'm not saying I did achieve it. Yeah, I'm sure that Ron Dennis is somewhere trying to hatch a plan to, to make sure they don't manage to succeed where he failed. Uh, I I think they could. I, like I said in the Miami review, I think something will come up at some point, just inevitably some, there will be a, a spanner in the works, a bizarre Italy 2020-esque race. Uh, as for whether it's boring, it's F1 has ups and downs uh, in this sense it's always been the way and you have to find interest elsewhere um it's maybe been easier certainly in the mercedes dominance because lewis and nico was such a good battle but i think yeah to answer your question abby i think checo can potentially do it. it he will need yeah again i'm i'm repeating myself a little so i'll leave it there but yeah 2016 nico-esque season where he maximizes his performance and gets a bit of luck along the way was maximize a fun pun there for me um Always. But I think you're absolutely right, James. I think that in order to really appreciate the close, the 2021 type seasons, you need seasons that aren't. Ultimately, again, to borrow from my kind of, you know, larger picture kind of point of, uh, you know, talking about people saying, oh, you just cheer up, you know, when someone's feeling down. You don't know what happiness is unless you've experienced sadness. You don't know what light is unless you've experienced dark. And it's so it's the same thing here. You need both to know what a good F1 season is. And also you need to appreciate the bits of each various season for what they are. Well, on the subject of appreciating F1 and appreciating the build-up to an F1 race, Abby, did people appreciate the intro and are they here to stay? Well, it got a lot of very mixed responses, even from the drivers. Lewis Hamilton was one who was in favour of it, saying that it was good for the fans. But a lot of the other drivers didn't really like it. I think Max said, we don't need it. I don't like being put in front of the spotlight. Perez said it messes with with pre-race rituals of the drivers. But it was very Miami style. I would say, but they are here to stay. In fact, F1 chiefs have announced that they're going to speak to all drivers about the pre-race ceremony plans in Imola because they're planning to host a similar driver intro at six or seven races this year. Obviously the first in Miami. So if it's six, we've got five to come. But, and this is something me and you guys touched on in the Miami Grand Prix review, they will be tailored to the host location. So they're not all going to be in the the same style that they were in Miami. They will suit the country 
better and culture of that country. They will be happening at Imola at the Grand Prix Drivers Association. The talks, hopefully, we'll get some more information then. Are you guys happy that they're here to stay or would you rather them not? It's a lot. That's a lot. Six is a lot. Less is more. Leave it with the American races. That's three. I think that's about right. You also lose the uh, the wow factor when you have too much of it. Mm. Yeah, that's something that F1 clearly really doesn't know as it adds more races and more sprint races <laughs> and more, yeah. But not more teams. No, it's no. It's very, very selective. It's where they draw the line. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think we've covered this already and I think we know how we feel. One thing I would be very pleased not to do is to use this is the formula um, at any of oh, those God. intros. Um, I, I noted on that. <laughs> Super <laughs> producer Rich wanted us to use that as a as some form of intro or yeah, uh, and I, I put it firmly on the maybe pile, which uh, is is somewhere down there, and I, I don't think it's going to get used. No, um, I, I shared it with my girlfriend uh, earlier today, and she was sat in the car looking at me like, what is this? I was like, it was like commissioned by F1. I listened I to it for the first it's... time, and my girlfriend overheard it and went, what the hell is that? Which, you know, it's not even people judging it because it's F1, which the comments were pretty brutal when I saw the reel on Instagram. In fact, you know how Instagram has the, the it pops up with the, the top comment in the final five seconds. Yeah. Uh, just the, the way it like kind of the song was fading out and then it just the, the pops up. WTF is that, was that, kind of summed it up. It's not my cup of tea. I'm re- Abby hasn't said anything. I'm really worried that Abby's going to be like, I actually really liked that. <laughs> I must admit, I haven't actually listened to it other than when it was the background for the introduction. I like Will I Am, but yeah, I'm guessing that I probably won't like it if the majority of people won't. Please report back once you've yeah. watched it. Are you a little Wayne fan? Am I a what? A little Wayne fan. <laughs> I'll take that as a no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. Okay. Well... There's there's your hook to come back next week and find out what your what Abby thought of this is the formula. I I'm thrilled to know what Abby is like a week a week on from just pure, just pure little little Wayne all week. Yeah, <laughs> just pro- properly different. And on that bombshell. Uh, I think we'll have to call it a day. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to head over to FormulaNerds.com and all the Formula Nerds socials to find out the latest on these and any other stories. If you haven't heard already, go and listen to our Miami race review as well. It was a laugh as ever. Uh, And of course, we'll be back for more very soon. Uh, Until then, Sam, Abby, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for having us. Thank you for being the host with the most, as always. It's a pleasure, Sam. Uh, you are the guests that are the best. <laughs> poets. Are we going the, back the poets to the are back. Yeah. <laughs> the poets are back and they have regressed. Yeah. Like, they like really Nico Hulkenberg. It was three years sabbatical. Or not, it would appear. I think not. But whatever we uh, whatever level we are at with poetry, it is lights out, mics off, and away we go. Goodbye. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. 
It's lights out, and away we go! Sports Social Podcast Network.